Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today I'm joined by Zena Rocha to talk about how developers can improve and grow. Zeno, welcome to the show. Hello, David. I'm super <laughs> happy to be here. Awesome. Me too. I feel like we have so much to talk about. Uh, for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure, sure. Um, I'm a programmer. That, that's how uh, I would put it. Like I, I do lots of different things. I love open source. I love side projects. I love to also have my nine to five job and uh, help my team uh, grow the product at the company that I work for. Um, but um, most of every, like everything that I do is related to, to programming. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, w- one thing, uh, Zeno gave an amazing talk uh, a while ago at JSLA. I think I, I saw that you now have done over 110 talks at conferences, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, Zeno also didn't mention he's he created Clipboard JS, uh, probably one of the you know biggest well-known packages out there, and all sorts of other fun stuff. So, really happy to have you here. Um, and more recently, you released a book. Uh, you want to tell tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, like, there's an, there's another product that I have that is called Dracula, which is a theme for code editors. So. You go to your VS Code, you go to your WebStorm, whatever it is, and then you change the colors to, to Dracula. And I was doing this project, and I felt that uh, I wanted to do something more premium for that project back in January. So I was like, okay, I'm going to research more about colors, learn more about color theory and all this stuff. And I was reading about fonts and all sorts of things to fine tune your code editor and make you more productive uh, when you're coding. But then I also realized that, okay, I can have the best code editor in the world with all the most exciting plugins. I can use the the best framework out there. I can read all the books. uh, But if I'm cultivating bad habits, then I'm not going to be as good as I could be, right? So that was my that was my intention uh, behind all this. I wanted to put together some words, uh, things that I learned throughout my career, and hopefully help uh, people who are starting in this journey to also uh, be more productive in the future. That's awesome. And uh, I think I noticed in the beginning you made a reference to Atomic Habits, which I think mm-hmm. is hands down one of my favorite books. Um, so I think it's I think it's so cool that you are concentrating on more of these I don't know like bigger concepts that are spent you just supposed to be done repeatedly more of like a a system rather than than a goal that can be finished I think yeah. that's that's really cool yeah I feel like uh, there's a lot of literature there's a lot of courses around like how to learn React how to learn Angular how to run uh, like put any framework out there or any language out there, but there's not enough content about wh- what what it means to be a programmer. How is the life of a software engineer, and what are the struggles that we all face? You know, so that's what I was trying to to put together. You know, some ideas around what does it mean to be a software engineer. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So one of the things that, that I've noticed within JSLA is, you know, at a node school or something like that, uh, people are coming and they're fairly new. And they'll ask, you know, the one that I used to get all of the time, uh, less so now, obviously, for, for reasons, um, was, you know, should I learn React or Angular? And mm -hmm. these questions would kind of drive me nuts because to me it was so clear that that missed the point, but it also makes a lot of sense that that's, that's how people would think about this, especially mm -hmm. if you're an aspiring dev and you are looking for a job, you are going to think based on the, the job post that you see that it's all about checking boxes, right? Mm -hmm. You've used React for X years and you've used Node for X years and you're familiar with AWS and all of these things. And so mm -hmm. I think it's very easy to consider like, oh, okay, if I want to be a successful engineer who can get a job, I need to check all of these boxes. But I think, and one of the things that I, I like about your writing is, is the focus on uh, more, you know, like outlook, perspective, habits that aren't just, did you go through these tutorials? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, no, and that, that, that's totally true. And uh, I remember like when I, I was in the beginning of my career and I, I bet you felt the same way. There's lots of different people telling you what you should learn, right? Um, myself, I loved CSS and HTML. Uh, like front-end was, you know, my world. And, but at the same time, I was at the university, everybody telling me that I should learn uh, C-sharp uh, or I had to learn Java to get a good job. Uh, like my dad telling me like, oh yeah, HTML, CSS, you know, this is uh, like, this is not the future for you. You should invest in something that is uh, more robust in backend or DevOps infrastructure, that kind of thing. Uh, and you're like being pulled to different directions. Uh, but sometimes like you have to realize it doesn't really matter what is the technology that you're going to choose. What matters is how you were going to approach that. And I feel like uh, you can have a successful career with any technology. And also one thing you mentioned that is really interesting is checking those boxes, right? Uh, that's something that we all have to do. You know, like there's a job application, you see all these requirements, X years of experience, technology X, technology Y, and you have all these things. Uh, and that's awesome. Like you have to, to read books about that. You have to... Uh, watch courses about that, uh, but that will only get you at the door, right? To that moment of the interview. Maybe you even got a job because of checking those boxes, but what happens after? Like, how are you going to behave on that uh, job interview? How are you going to behave once you get that job? Uh, I feel like those soft skills are something that people don't talk about very often. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I I, on this on this show, one of the things that I like to ask people are are questions about jobs that they've had, uh, how they got that job. So, what was the interview process like? Maybe even the interview questions. What what was the hiring manager like? You know, what were they looking for? And also, even today, right? So, if I'm if I'm talking to a, a tech lead or an engineering manager or even a senior engineer they're often in those interviews. And I always want to know, what are they 
looking for into candidate. Do you do do you do some of those interviews now? I think now you're you're very product focused. So I don't know if that's something. Do you do those now? Yeah, I get involved with everything. So yeah, that that's something that I I do as well. So what do you look for in in an interview? Yeah, this is something that changed over time. You know, like in the beginning, I always look for someone that was complete. So uh, my like the the bar for me, it was like pretty high uh, to hire someone because I knew that uh, it's very difficult once you hire, uh, you have to put a lot of energy, you have to invest on that person. So I wanted to make sure that I was making the right decision. And that's still the case, but it's it's in a different way. So um, I can give you one example. There, There's one guy uh, that I had a team of uh, developers and one of the, the company founders, he came to me and he said, Zeno, like I found your Robin. You need a Robin. That's how he <laughs> described. And I found a Robin for you. For your Batman? And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I said like, man, that, that's awesome. Let, let me meet him. And he was applying for a, a job on the support team, I guess. And I, I met him and he didn't know how to code. Uh, he didn't uh, have any technical skills or formal education. And for me, like I said, no, right away. I said like, Hey man, this is impossible. This is not going to happen. I, I don't have like the time to invest on this person. And I kept saying no. And I said no, like three times. And eventually he convinced me and this person, he's, he still works with me. And like, he's unbelievable. Like, like the way he helped me, is just like I can't even describe. So wow. to d- today, I don't feel like, you know, those check boxes are the most important thing. You know, I look for the personality mm. and I feel like you can learn the technology uh, on the go. You know, if you have to, you can, you can learn it. You don't have to be 100% prepared. But if you have that, uh, that culture fit, I feel like that's more important than anything. Mm. That's interesting. So I, I am curious. I'm going to ask a little bit of a controversial question. Do you mm-hmm. think that there are people who are incapable of learning the technology and becoming a good programmer? Yeah, that's a very interesting. Um, I don't. I don't feel like anyone is incapable of anything. <laughs> I feel like depending on their environment and how their life situation is, it can be harder or easier. Uh, like if you have if you are 18 years old, yeah, it's going to be easier than if you are 60 years old. But I actually, like one of my, one of the persons that I, I learned the most when I was starting uh, was a guy that he was 65 years old and I had no idea, but he was, he had like a, blo- uh, a blog that he was sharing HTML and CSS tricks and I had no idea. And he was like amazing. And hmm. he was not from the software engineering world. He was actually on the Navy. He left. He was already retired and he was learning himself uh, CSS and sharing what he was learning. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I don't feel like you, like you can learn anything uh, for me. I don't feel like there's, there are limitations. Yeah. I, I have a couple of ideas about this and, Mm -hmm. and one of them is probably, you know, Programming languages and uh, spoken languages in some ways seem similar. Most mm-hmm. of the time, I think that they're very different, but I 
do think that there's probably something to the effect of, of the language changes the way that you think, and it might even happen in, in spoken languages, but I think it also happens with programming. And mm-hmm. I have to imagine that it is much easier to pick these things up when you're young. I could not imagine trying to learn Portuguese now. And <laughs> I have a hunch that even if I did, it would be incredibly hard for me to become fluent enough to fool a native speaker to think that that I was always doing it. And mm-hmm. so that, me thinking that way, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit, makes me wonder if there are are certain things that, you know, would be difficult for somebody to to pick up coming later in life. Now, however, I really don't think that that level of fluency matters, right? I doubt I doubt that there's anything that that delta between me and somebody who, you know, who grew up speaking the language, I doubt that that delta would actually have any impact on whether or not I could start a business or ask people to do things or, you know, provide whatever, you know, using that language. And so I, I think it's kind of similar that it might be easier when you're younger, um, th- you know, that it probably, you know, doesn't, like you say, there are things that make it more difficult, but I, I think, you know, and I love your example about, you know, someone who treats it as like a second, third or fourth career. Um, it's totally possible. I think there's lots of examples about it. Uh, mm-hmm. I also wonder about this, like, you know, in terms of some people say that they're not good at math and whether or not that can be turned around. So I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you that if there is, I think if it is interesting enough to someone, then they will put the time in, their subconscious will work on it. They'll be really engaged. They'll be kind of thinking about it in the back of their mind for, for a while. They'll be constantly practicing and more or less before they know it, they'll be able to put it to use doing doing what they want. Actually, that's a that's a good segue into one of your sections in your book is about side projects. And I think a lot of people say that this is one of the best ways to learn. In hiring, oftentimes hiring managers will ask about side projects. Um, seems like you've certainly had a number of them. Was this something that you always knew you were going to put into the book? Or, yeah, I was curious what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no. But let me just uh, talk one thing about what you were saying because I feel like this is also a, a misconception that a lot of new people in this uh, profession be- believe as something to be true, and it's about like knowing something, right? Like how much uh, can you know about something? And even you and me, I don't know how many years we have of JavaScript experience combined. <laughs> too many at this point. Yeah, too many. But we don't know everything, you know? There are many things that you don't know that I don't know, and that's okay, you know? Like, we got to where we are right now, and that's fine. And there's this conception that, oh, I'm only going to be a senior developer once I know everything. I believe uh, this is, yeah, just just not possible. But oh, yeah. uh, speaking of side projects, uh, I think that they are, the, yeah, it's such an important thing. Uh, I really believe on that. I, I wasn't planning on putting that on the book. That's a, a very interesting thing that you asked because I was already at the end of the book. I had three or more chapters to write. I knew I wanted to write 14 Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like on the 10th or the 11th and I said, 
okay, what should I write next? Mm-hmm. I when I said like, oh, I think I'm gonna write about side project because it's something that I I truly believe, and it was one of the easiest uh, <laughs> chapters to write because it's something that is so natural to me. Uh, I feel like since the beginning. I always like to experience, experiment with things outside of the work, you know. I thought that, okay, I love my job. There's so many interesting things that I still have to learn. But at every single job, there's a limitation. The technology stack that the company provides to you is in a certain way with a certain shape. The best practices that they follow is in one way or another. And once you expose yourself to the open source world, to new technologies, you uh, ideas, you start to develop new skills. And that's what I truly believe uh, that side projects help with. Yeah, I think uh, there was someone that you interviewed, I'm forgetting who it was, but talking about how they will use side projects to experiment with new, um, maybe it was a side project chapter, but pretty much mm-hmm. if they're evaluating a new technology, they will rewrite or write a side project using whatever it is. And I know personally, I've done that in the past. Um, I would, I, I have my own music player. So it's like a web-based music player that I mostly run in Electron during the day. And I have rewritten uh, that nice. thing so many times. <laughs> I think the first version was probably Rails. And then since then, I like rewrote it more simply using Sinatra and I don't know, probably uh, what was the God, what was it like Sammy JS or something? So I'm I'm really gonna date myself pretty hard talking about this stuff, but um, you know, all the way up through you know the, the current versions in in React. Um and that has always been so useful for me to use this this side project as a way to experiment with new technologies and framework to see what I like, what I don't like. And that would be so hard trying to do that at my nine to five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I just can't true. imagine doing that. And it's, what is interesting about your example is that when you, were, when you were rewriting that thing, you were not like probably changing the logic of the player, right? It still, it still need a, a way to play and pause, uh, like change tracks, uh, change the volume. So the basic logic is there. And that's something that, of course, you have to build, but you have a freedom to change everything underneath and experiment with that new thing. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be better, right? Maybe it's a, <laughs> no. a, a technology that it's not going to add too much. But the fact that you, you were exposed to that, maybe open other doors in your brain to new ideas that you can uh, later on leverage, even in your work. Like I had many examples in my life where, I started to experiment with a tool outside work and then I was able to bring that tool inside my nine to five and then mm-hmm. uh, help things there. So uh, I feel like there's so much value in that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many of these technologies, when you're new to them, you either may not be thinking about it. You, your mental model may not be a good fit. Like if, you, if you're really used to, let's say, God, again, I'm going to be starting to date myself using these examples, but just bear with me. So if you come to React and you're used to something like Backbone, you know, mm-hmm. that that trying to figure out the one-way data flow may be a little bit alien. And so in some cases, you'll just kind of ignore it and try and come up with other ways to get the functionality or the, the logic that you used to like it. And it 
you might just have to do that and experience the pain of, of like you put your hand on that hot stove and realize like, oh, wait, no, I shouldn't be mm-hmm. using it this way. And that can be very difficult in a nine to five where you put something like that in production and then you're just not really going to want to revisit it. And you're going to have to, you know, sometimes good enough is forever. And mm-hmm. it's just much better to make those, those mistakes while learning in separate projects. Um, and another reason why I like side projects, and, and this is something that I try, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with uh, aspiring or junior developers is, you know, scratching your own itch is really important. Um, you, the, that feedback loop, when you are your own customer or your own user, winds up being so much tighter, right? So I use the example of the music app, so I'll, I'll use that one again. You know, for me, building something that I'm using every day, I get to see where my code is not working well. And, mm-hmm. and keeping the end user, the customer in mind, I know that's more of a thing that a lot of programmers will think, oh, like, well, that's for product to, to worry about, or that's a, that's a business thing Mm -hmm. but i would argue that's a that's at the end of the day really what your value as a as a developer is is making things that make the user happy and not being able to get that feedback from users very quickly which can often be the norm in a nine to five you don't get that Mm -hmm. oh i developed this thing and then it goes to qa and then off to the users wherever they are and then maybe at some point they'll call support and or something and a ticket will come back through jira and eventually i'll get it that feedback loop can be really long months whereas when you're developing for yourself you develop a feature you test it out and then you get that feedback real quick it's like oh no i shouldn't have done it that way and every one of those loops um that's a really good source of learning and so the quicker those are and the faster they are um, I think the, the you know the faster you you learn, um, and actually one of the things that I really liked in your book, uh, kind of talking about that business is, and, and I didn't know what this meant at the beginning, but you 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 you're I forget your title something like embrace the dark side, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you're you're kind of telling people to to not neglect the business. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, man, this is such a a, neat, a nice thing because. Uh, like at least for me, when I was starting, I always hated sales. Everything related to sales, like mm-hmm. uh, salespersons, like like the marketing teams, even marketing. Like I didn't like it um, because I always thought that okay, all these people they're just there to make more money and they don't care about the user. And here I am, like coding a lot and trying to make sure my code is reusable and has all the the best practices has all the unit tests that it needs and they don't care. Right. And they're just used yeah. car sales people and they just, exactly. They just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's exactly how I pictured them. And like, but with time, like even with the, my relationship with open source, uh, I had that thing that, okay, open source is the best distribution model ever. I want to do open source for my whole life. And Everything, everything that is paid is, is evil, right? And this is such a naive uh, mentality, uh, I would say. Like looking back now, uh, it's the, the fact that you are like charging for your own things. I feel like it's unbelievable and it really helps you understand how 
life works, you know, this transaction of value, you bringing something to the table and the other side recognizing that value that you bring in. And I feel like we really need to understand how the business work, uh, regardless of the field that we are working on. That doesn't mean that we need to go out there and start selling the software or uh, anything like this, but just understanding, okay, what is, what is the lingo there? How are people talking? What are the terms they use? How, how marketing works? How sales work? Why do people even buy our products? You know, I feel like sometimes we're such in a, you know, in the corner, like programming and that's everything that we care, but there's uh, this whole, um, operational side of it. And I feel like once you understand that, if you work at a company right now, or if you're aspiring to work, uh, man, this changes everything. Like imagine going to a job interview and not just asking about, okay, do you guys have some video games, uh, a video game room, you know, or how is, what are the technologies that you use? And that's all that you ask. Uh, what if you ask like, okay, but how do you obtain users? What is your total addressable market? You know, trying to understand how that business work. I feel like that puts you in a totally different uh, position. Oh my God. I love, absolutely love this conversation. Uh, I don't even know where to start, but I mean, first I'll say, I think engineers are actually really good at understanding business this way. If they think about it in terms of a machine or a system with like inputs and outputs and, um, you know, if you think about a business as an engine, it's sort of, okay, so, so what is, what's the output? What's the value? So that could often be, so this, like a SaaS platform where we help, I don't know, for example, let's say accountants manage whatever they need to be managed. So that, mm -hmm. that value is out and then the revenue comes in. And so that gets to, to be, that revenue comes in and that pays for future development, support, uh, marketing and uh, other admin functions. And so let's say that money goes to marketing. Well, marketing then needs to spend that in a way to get out in front of users. And there's things like customer acquisition cost and other formulations of, okay, we put this much money into marketing. How many more new users do we get back? And ideally you spend less on marketing than you do on new users. Similarly, you can do, mm -hmm. you know, some formulations based on how much your attrition is, and maybe that's due to particular lack of features or bugs or things like that. And then how much you spend of that money to pay for development, which then reduces the attrition or increases your acquisition of users, then can pay for more development. And so I think it's totally possible for an engineer to think about it in this way as an actual system with the flows of of revenue and this engine where it can use that to get better and more efficient and thinking about it in that way is really useful one of the things that that i've been talking about in my group coaching session is i think a lot of uh, code school graduates and aspiring devs find interviews really hard or the idea is that getting a job right now is really difficult mm -hmm. and one of the things that that I, I recommended thinking about was, what is the perspective of the person hiring you? Because in, if you understand that really well, there is, there's, there's one way to pretty much guarantee 
that you're going to get hired by anyone. And this will either be profound for some people or the most obvious dumb thing in the world for other people. But it breaks down to someone will always, always be thrilled to hire you at X dollars per year if you make them X plus Y dollars a year and Y is not negative. Mm-hmm. Always. Totally. Mm-hmm. And if you're walking to an interview and you have a good handle on how their business makes money and how you can deliver them that why, you know, that, mm-hmm. that Y dollars per year to like pay for yourself, you, you're absolutely going to get hired if you can make that convincing case. Obviously, this is very difficult. Um, there are, you know, complicated issues where you're not really going to be able to do this one-to-one. A lot of development is speculative where mm-hmm. the amount of money that you're, you're spending on features is not going to be able to be tied directly to sales or revenue coming in. Sometimes it is, for sure, but other times it's difficult. But if you can, if you can just have a good idea of that system and where you fit into it and the revenue that goes to you in the form of salary gets turned into features and fixes and things that are valuable to the business, you're going to be in a much better shape. And I do think a lot of engineers have a, have a harder time, especially more junior ones have a harder time thinking about what their value is to the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to think about this and feel like, oh, but I don't want to be a manager. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be like talking to people and uh, doing all this. And that's okay. You know, uh, like we, we look at a, a software career and we usually see a, a why, right? Where you start as a junior, you go to a mid-level, you go to senior, and now you have to choose. Do you go to the left side where you have to become a manager and then start coaching people, you become a tech lead, all this? Or do you go to a more technical role and now you become a more a specialist in that area and become principal software engineer, things like that? So uh, people feel like knowing the business will automatically take you to that other route where you can still be very technical, still know like a lot about code and go really deep into the architecture, but still uh, know the business a lot. And ultimately that's it. what you said is it's on point. There are only two variables, making more money or losing less money. Right. And mm-hmm. even if you, even if you're not adding new features, even if you're not increasing the revenue, what can you see today on your work that is going to decrease the costs? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, let's say you are working with AWS or Google Cloud Platform, and you realize that the machines are not being used uh, correctly. There's a database that is cheaper to use instead of the one that we are using right now. So identifying those patterns can also help you uh, increase that why that you were saying uh, yeah. earlier. You know. Yeah, it, it's, it's, that's interesting, right? That, that's a really good example. I mean, there are probably tons of cases, depending on the company that you work with, where you can make a decision like that or increase efficiency. And just that change could wind up paying your, your salary for a year. And if you do that, that is amazing career mm-hmm. security. You know, it's like, you know, they'd be crazy to, to let you go. And 
Yeah, those paths that you mentioned too are interesting. I certainly hear that a lot where, no, I, I never want to go into management. I just always want to be coding. And, you know, I think, I think that is totally, totally fine. Um, I think there's a lot of people who can really hone their craft and make very beautiful, valuable, maintainable things and work very uh, closely and directly with it. Personally, uh, I think a lot about leverage. And while I like to think of myself as a totally decent and adequate uh, programmer, um, I can only really work on one thing at a time. And uh, over time, I've just developed uh, a preference or just, I don't know, my ADD, where I prefer to have, you know, a lot more plates spinning in the air and helping a lot of different people at the same time build different things. And mm -hmm. either way is totally fine, right? Like by doing, by splitting my attention, I'm certainly sacrificing and, and dealing with a lot of trade-offs that I wouldn't if I just decided to, to focus and really just do the best that I could um, myself. And, um, I think that, I, I think that is a, that's, that's definitely a choice. And even on the, on the, the more individual contributor side, right? So one side you got management, so tech lead, manager, uh, director, mm -hmm. VP, CTO type of thing. Uh, on the other side, you would have, uh, I wouldn't know, I guess like, you know, much more like senior engineer, architect, principal, chief, you know, whatever. Um, what's interesting on those, those sides is you may not be managing anyone, but I think you're expected to still have that leverage where what you're creating or the, 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 like if you're creating frameworks or languages or databases or writing papers or giving talks, your technical ex excellence is still expected to have high leverage where your what your output is doing is affecting many more developers and many more engineers and that's that's usually where the higher compensation comes from is if you are delivering value to a lot of different engineers either for management or just from your technical excellence being visible to a lot of them that's usually where the, the compensation comes back to you now mm -hmm. that's not to say that 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 you have to choose that that route like you really could just be a lot more individual contributor and and you know again hone your individual craft and not really try to go beyond that but something to to keep in mind and there's um, a lot of yeah. you know there's a lot of seniors that uh still behave as a junior in terms of <laughs> uh you know like the things that they do they miss deadlines all the time they start meetings later you know they miss meetings uh, so maybe another advice for those who are starting is simply like, if you still don't have like that, you know, five years of experience, all that technical knowledge, that's okay. You know, you can be a junior with a behavior of a senior, you know, showing up on time, leading the daily standups, you know, those sorts of things that the small things on the day to day that people are going to notice for sure. And yeah, if you are a senior already and you have the technical skills, please behave as a senior too. <laughs> oh man, that is such a good point. Yeah, there's, I mean, again, this kind of goes back to your book, right? So, so many of these, these habits and traits have nothing to do with that technical checklist. And 
I think for a lot of developers, if you display those clearly and early, it is a huge differentiator and probably will be rocket fuel for your career. Uh, and one of the things that, that actually I wanted to talk about is, is do you, do you have a, a, a way that you like to think about the difference between a junior engineer or a senior engineer? Wow, the tricky question. <laughs> Let me think. I feel like the, the experience factor is definitely uh, the number one for me. So, um, yes, maybe you, like you studied super hard in two years and now you, you know, everything about JavaScript. Uh, but I'm not sure if you're still, um, a, if you're already a senior, just because you, you went super hard for a short period of time, I feel like you need that mileage behind you to really put you on that position. And uh, actually, like there was one one guy who who sent me a, a question like three days ago, and it was actually a twelve year old uh, person, and he said that no, he was fifteen years old, and he was programming for five years already. So he he told me, uh, Zeno. So once I'm eighteen, can I say that I have eight years of experience in programming? And man, that was such a, a tricky question wow. uh, because uh, I, I started to reflect on the kind of work that that person uh, could do, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, and, and that's really, it goes super into your question about how you differentiate juniors and seniors because uh, I don't know if this person is going to be a senior when he's 18 just mm -hmm. because the projects that he worked on are probably projects that he's working individually and maybe there's it's not reaching uh, so many people yet and there are certain problems that you only find when you have a huge scale of users there are certain problems that you only find when you have 20 engineers sending pull requests at the same time and mm -hmm. you have to manage all that so i feel like there's all these different factors and i wouldn't just trust on your technical skills, I would have to look back at what are the things that you, you, you've done before in your life, you've done in your career, and then try to make that decision. Oh, I think that's really good. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we both agree that years of experience is not that that number isn't really just, you can't really determine just whether or not you, mm -hmm. you feel someone's junior or senior based on how many years of experience. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure whoever that is, the, they will have learned a ton being able to start so early and really mm -hmm. going at it for eight years. But I, I definitely agree. I think one of the, now, obviously this is going to be simplistic, but I often like to give an example of, of how I think about the difference between juniors and seniors. And, uh, and it goes something a little bit like, you know, you, you go to a junior developer and you say, Hey, I really need a chainsaw. Can you build, can you build chainsaws? And the junior says, oh, wow, I've never built a chainsaw, but I really want to. This is so exciting. And before you can say anything else, they run off and start researching how to build the best chainsaw ever and whatever. Um, you go to the junior and, and uh, sorry, you go to the mid-level and you say, hey, I really need a chainsaw. Can you build me a chainsaw? The mid-level says, oh, yeah, I've built a million chainsaws. No problem. I'll have you, you know, I'll have you one that, you know, does what you want, you know, next, next week. Great. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the senior and you say, senior, I really need 
a chainsaw. Can you build me a chainsaw? And the senior developer says, why do you need a chainsaw? To which you reply, I locked my keys in my apartment. And the senior calls you a locksmith. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's so good. That's so, <laughs> so true. You know, oh and I gosh. think that's, that's probably one of those areas, going back to a little bit earlier in the conversation, where you really can pay for yourself. If you, if you are, and also going back to the part about paying, you know, paying attention to the requirements and the business needs, it's very common to be able to, to, change the trajectory of what is built in a way that can either save a lot of money, either by, you know, not building, building an expensive chainsaw that then is going to cause a lot of damage, but then needs to be fixed. You know, you, you can save a lot of money and time and headache. And that's, that's, that's worth a lot um, just by asking a lot of questions, figuring out exactly what is needed by the customers in the business and doing that and having that, that, those, you know, that communication, those questions, I think that that can go a long way. And you don't actually need a lot of technical skill to do that. It's certainly helpful. The, mm -hmm. the more you are a Xeno Batman with a tool belt, uh, <laughs> with all of these <laughs> cool gadgets that you have from experience, you know how to use this and you know how to use that. That, that gives you a lot of experience to draw on to make those suggestions but I don't think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. I agree. Totally. Well, uh, this has been mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, Zena, thank you so much. So where can people find out more about you online? Sure. Yeah, you can. I'm Zeno Rocha, Z-E-N-O-R-O-C-H-A, everywhere. So github twitter um i'm usually posting there and if you want to check the book uh that'll be awesome i think it can really help people navigate for their careers so uh, it's 14habits.com uh, the name of the book is 14 habits of highly productive developers <laughs> but the site is 14habits.com awesome yeah uh been reading the book i think it's so helpful definitely going to be recommending it all over the place especially to listeners of the show and people that i'm that i'm working with i think it's just a really clear distillation of some important guiding principles to to keep in mind um so zeno thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much david bye bye uh, everyone all right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior.